Last week we finished our study on the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and today we'll continue by looking at what follows in Exodus 20, verses 18 through 26, if you want to turn there. Um, I, I say this oftentimes, I mean it for guests or people who are visiting us. If you don't have a Bible, then we would love to gift one to you, but I also mean that for our kids as well. I often don't think about that, but as a covenant community, it's it's our desire to raise people in the fear and admonition of the Lord, uh, no matter what your age, your stage, and your journey with Christ is. But one of those key parts of that is having the Word of God that you can use to study during the week, that you can pull out on Sundays like this and turn to Scripture and read it along with us. And so if you don't have a Bible, please let us know. Parent, if you're wanting to try to find a Bible for your child, let us know. We've got some of those as well. We'd love to give to you and try to and try to help you along in this journey. I want to first this morning remind us of kind of where the people are. We've had this kind of slowdown period over the Ten Commandments, but I want to remind us of the setting that the people of Israel find themselves in as they receive these instructions from God Himself. When we looked at chapter 19 the weeks ago now, we saw that God had told His people to wash themselves, consecrate themselves, much like the high priest would have washed and consecrated himself before entering into the secure place in the temple, the Holy of Holies, where only he could go only at a certain time of year and, and only through the washing um, before and the robes and all of these kind of things. And so God has the people wash and consecrate themselves and then show up at the mountain, but he gives them very clear instructions as they reach the foot of the mountain not to go any further. So if you look at uh, Exodus 19, 12 through 13, I'm just going to read it for us. It says, and you shall set limits for the people around, saying, take care that they do not go up into the mountain and touch any edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. These are the people who came to the edge and just touched or touched anything that had touched it. They were to be put to death and not even touched in their death. And so the presence of God shows up at the foot of the mountain, just as he said he was. And the best description that we can have of this whole thing is really a volcanic eruption. So our oldest, Jack, watches a lot of documentaries. I didn't tell him I was going to talk to him about it. Um, watches a lot of documentaries on weather and different things. He's fascinated by that. So a couple of weeks ago, we were watching one on volcanoes. And, and, and I just recalled this. But a lot of what's described here is true of a volcanic eruption. So volcanologists, I had to look that up, that's not on the top of the head. Volcanologists, people who study volcanoes, talk about the thunder and the lightning, the smoke and the fire, and this cloud that descends downward off the top of the mountain going some 400 or 500 miles per hour. It's called a pyroclastic, uh, pyroclastic cloud. It's hot gas that comes down as part of this volcanic eruption, and it just decimates anything in its, in its uh, path, destroying it. It has the power and awesomeness that God is displaying here. But unlike those who they just kind of rip through the countryside and, and ha have no stopping until it just wears itself out, this one stops at the edge, precisely where God said it would, and it holds fast. And they watch their man Moses kind of come and go in and out of this cloud of darkness after he's summoned by God to join him in. He even sees Aaron at some point go up 
And at some point during all of this, God speaks directly to his people as he gives them these commands. So we kind of slowed down over 10 weeks and, and watched all these. We kept everything at a manageable volume level. Uh, we tried not to add any kind of pyrotechnics to it. So we don't get the feel of what it was like hearing the Ten Commandments if you were a person or someone in the family of God hearing it. Because the thunder and the lightning and the loudness and the crashing and this booming voice from heaven coming down as this cloud just billows right in front of you. We didn't get any of that. But as we think about that, in the context of what we're studying here, it might raise the question that some of us, as we read passages like this, we notice that there's a vast difference between the God of the garden, the God that walked with Adam, the God that introduced him to all of his creation, the, the God that shared his authority and his power with Adam, Gave him leadership to name the animals. And this loud and scary God that's unapproachable. That could turn us into dust in a moment if we come close to him. There's a vast difference. So has your study of the Bible at times left you wondering if God has two personalities? Is, is the God that we talk about in the garden and the God here, are there two gods? Does God lose his cool at points, much like you and I do? That's, that's a pretty important thing if we're going to build our lives around the feet of God, that we understand who he is, what he is, and what he's not. So this is an important text for us who may struggle with this at times. If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of God's word as I read the text for us? Um, it's Exodus 20, starting in verse 18. Going to verse 26, it says this. Now when all the people saw the thunder and lightning and, and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with you, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings your sheep and your oxen, and every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not make, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To take your seats, let me pray for us. Father, this morning as we jump into your text and we, uh, we're coming close, we're, we're wanting to come close, we're wanting to hear from you this morning even as Barr prayed, we're wanting you to teach us how to worship, we're wanting you to teach us uh, how, how to love you and love each other, and so Father, we pray that you would instruct us from your word 
Uh, we believe that it is living and active, that it judges the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, and it steers us in the way that we should go. So, Father, do that. Through your spirit, we pray. Amen. So this whole time, God is telling them the Ten Commandments. This mountain is exploding and erupting with thunder and lightning and smoke and fire. Um, now, if you'll remember, these people are used to being around the presence of God. They're used to this pillar of fire and smoke that's leading them in the wilderness. But this is clearly different. It's this sensory overload that's got them freaking out. Verse 18 says the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. A group that has more than once, on more than one occasion, summoned the current courage to complain about their wilderness accommodations now find themselves wanting none of them. Now find themselves afraid for their lives. So back to our question. Has, has God blown his lid here? Has he lost his cool? Is he prone to emotional outbursts as his children act out like we are? What if I told you God never changes? That he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? What if, what if I told you that the people prone to flipping allegiances are not God, but us? What if it's not God that turns on his beloved, but it's us who often turns? But let's not take my word for it. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift. Is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What's the hymn that we always sing? Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. So if he's not turning away, if he's not running out of compassion, then why all of this drama on the mountain? Let's look at verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now, I want to break that down for a second. Because if y'all read it earlier this week, or you just heard that and you didn't catch, like, because I'm reading and I'm studying, it's like, you, you heard that right. Do not fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And the people are, are said, you know, basically, we're good right here. We're good far off. We're good at a distance. And Moses went into the thick darkness where God was. So this is the key text I want to kind of center on. Because what it tells us is we often want to rid our lives of all fear. We want to shed off all fear, even the good kinds. And that should be hard, too hard for us to get behind since we, we've grown up in a culture and in a world that values our space, that values our independence. And fear can be this constant reminder to us that we don't always have what it takes, that we're lacking something, that we're in need of something, that we can't always go it alone. But we also know that fear can be a powerful motivator for us. 
In fact, sometimes fear is the only thing that gets us going. I know in our family, we can warn, we can bait, we can uh, encourage, but at some point it's like, get up now or dot, dot, dot. We won't go into disciplining parental styles this morning, but the dot, dot, dot is a change in direction from the previous, previous alternatives. But this morning, as we're looking at the character and person of God, there's a vast difference between living in fear of God and being afraid, keeping a healthy fear of where our sin leads us with God. I want to spend the rest of our brief time this morning kind of breaking down that statement. That there's a difference between being afraid of God, the person of God, and being and having this healthy fear of where our sin leaves us in relationship with God. Because it makes all the difference in how we will choose to relate to Him. Either standing as far off as possible or coming as close to where God is as possible. I've got two points this morning. Wrong fear, right fear. That's it. That's all I got for you. Wrong fear, right fear. What we see from the people in the text is a fear of death. It's a fear of being consumed. And they aren't wrong to fear necessarily because when we see the cloud stops at the foot of the mountain, we know that that's God exercising his graceful restraint and mercy. If God were to exercise his rightful justice, that cloud would have just kept pouring down the mountain. It wouldn't have stopped at, at Sinai. It would have kept going. He would have been justified to sweep over the entirety of the earth turning everyone to ash who has loved evil and who has acted unfaithful to him. Even Moses would have gone up in a plume of smoke. But any fear that pushes us away from God is the wrong fear. Any fear that causes us to push away from God is the wrong fear. Moses tells the people in verse 20 not to fear because God is trying to teach them the right thing to push away from. If you want to be afraid, be afraid of the sin that separates us from God. Let that fear be always before you, always reminding you, driving you away from sin and towards grace and mercy from God. We've talked about this before, but the law of God that he's just given to the people in the Ten Commandments, the law of God has three purposes. It serves as a mirror to us, showing us our sin. It shows as a mandate, letting us know when we've gone too far. It shows as a map, teaching us the way to come back. It's purposeful. It's helpful. Now I want us to think about our relationship with God for a second. And just in general thinking, are you moving away from God right now? Or are you moving towards, moving closer to God? Do you see God's boundaries and hatred of sin like a loving father keeping his kids out of a busy street? Properly setting up boundaries to keep them safe and love them? Or do you see him as a killjoy keeping his subjects from reaching their potential? Because that makes all the difference as to whether you want to come close or move further away from them. Now we already knew this all the way back when the people were still in Egypt. But God has made Moses a mediator for the people of Israel. What a mediator is, he's a go-between. He's a reconciler. He's helping two parties come together 
that are different. He's invited into this terrifying, thick darkness where God is. But here's the thing. As faithful as Moses was, he still is not the best mediator. He has challenges. He has limits. He's only worthy to be where God is because of God's invitation. He's just as guilty and fearful as the people are. And, and trust me, if Moses were here, he would not mind me spilling, his, spilling the beans on him and, and sharing kind of where his heart is in all this. He wouldn't mind, you tell, it wouldn't mind me telling you all this because he knew it full well. And he would want me sharing where his confidence came from. Moses enters into the thick darkness where God is, not because he was worthy, not because of a mistake or an injustice on God's part, only by faith, as he takes God at his word and he accepts his invitation. Moses is consumed by the right fear of what his life is like without God in it, and it drives him towards God's mercy and grace in the person of Jesus. In Hebrews 11 kind of switching over to the New Testament. It's often called the Hall of Faith. But starting in verse 26, the author of Hebrews recalls the faith of Moses. Listen to this. Hebrews eleven twenty-six. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. For he endured as seeing him... He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. Later in Hebrews 12, our text is referenced almost identical connections, links between this passage in Exodus 20:18 and Hebrews 12, starting in uh, verse 18. It's referenced, and it compares this earthly kingdom to a heavenly kingdom that's coming. And I can't read it all for us, but it describes this intense scene at Mount Sinai as a blazing fire of darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg no further message be spoken to them. Sound familiar? Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is a better mediator because he did even what Moses knew he could never do. You see, Moses could never heal our relationship with God. He could never mend that relationship for all time, once and again bringing us close to enter into where God dwells without fear. He could only kind of set the boundaries. He could only set the rules before the people. He could, he could model the rules, but he couldn't break the barriers. He couldn't rip down the walls of the temple that were built there to save the people from dying in the sight of God. He couldn't bring us forever close to God. He could mediate but he couldn't repair. It's by means of Christ's death for us that we don't have to fear God's wrath. Now, we don't have a ton of time to get into verses 22 through 26 of our text, but I want to touch on them with the time that we have left. Uh, these verses touch on what happens to our worship 
when we don't fear God at all, or we allow the wrong fear to consume us. If we don't have a fear of God, we look to other things to try and fill the God-shaped hole that exists in all of us. That's what Moses is addressing and setting these boundaries for the people to not form other gods and try and replace God. You see, when we move away from God, for whatever reason, we try to put something in his place. We don't go to worshiping nothing. We go to worshiping anything. We're lost without something to worship. For many of us, it may not feel that way at times. It may just feel like we're just not into that. Because uh, because in, in some ways, our other gods have not been tested, right? They work for us here. Our circumstances haven't uh, changed in a way to make us want for anything. And so we feel like we're in good shape. We feel like we're on steady ground, but we often don't notice how thin the ice is until our weight tests it. And by that time, we can find it to be too late as we find that the ice is insufficient for holding us. An unhealthy fear either pushes us away from God or towards other things. It drives us to try to perform for God in such a way that looks good on the outside, but it's hollow on the inside. So God is addressing this in the last part of this text as he sets boundaries against pretty altars in high places that take the focus away from where our worship truly should be. He describes this altar and, and it's just a mound of earth. It's untouched. It's something that God just kind of, you know, it's his already. It's just kind of put there. And he's like, look, no beautification, nothing you can put your name on, no artistry to it, just sacrifice here on the thing that I gave you. And if you're going to put stones together, as soon as you put a chisel, that becomes your work. So don't do it. Just stack the stones. And it's this idea that we see in the Old Testament of the high places of you, we put these stairs and we put these steps because we want these altars to be these huge monuments of success but ultimately they tend to be places of worship where we worship ourselves and so what he's talking about here was a tendency that the priests usually did not wear underwear this is kind of you know hey too much information not enough it's the word of god we'll be faithful to it and so look if you build this altar to yourself you're only going to bring shame to yourself because when you go up those steps the whole world is going to see your nakedness you're only going to bring shame to yourself so if you want an altar something together and I will meet you there. That's what God is trying to say. Take the focus off yourself. Take the focus off of your artistry and the things that you do to make yourself right before me and just come as you are. Come as I have given you access, granted you access. How would you assess how fear works in your life right now? Does it drive you to the grace and mercy offered in Jesus and remind you of the awesomeness of God who only by his grace invites you into his presence? Or has an improper understanding of God led you to distance yourself and trust in your own self-sufficiency that isn't working? Or it isn't gonna work, it isn't gonna last. It has no future of working beyond this life. 
see God humbles himself in the person of Jesus in order that not that we would come close to him, but that he would come close to us. He breaks down the barrier. He comes to his people. The one who makes the imperfect righteous, as Hebrews 12 said. Jesus has mediated a new covenant between us and God, paid for in his own blood. In that moment, sin is done away with forever. But we can never forget where we were. We can never forget where our sin left us. That's what he's talking about, about keeping the fear in front of us, constantly knowing who we are without God. The more we understand the great chasm of sin created between us and God, the more grateful we become for his grace in our lives. This is where we access the fuel that we need to continue to minister, to continue to come to fight sin, is understanding all that God has saved us from and all that he offers to us. The more we seek to live, to put attention on God in all that we do, all that we say in every area of our life becomes less about us and more about bringing attention to the majesty of God, who is a consuming fire and rightfully feared by those who are apart from him. But for those who would respond in faith, he doesn't consume us. He consumed Christ. And with us and with Christ, our sin and purchase the right to be children of God. Let's pray again. Father, this morning is just a start. I pray that as we think about the effect of fear on us, whether it draws us closer to God or it causes us to not be afraid of anything and trust and replace you or causes us to... Um, to doll ourselves up, pretty ourselves in order to gain your attention and your love. But whatever the effect of that would be, uh, even as believers, we struggle to not do that. It's a constant battle for us because it's, a, it's, it's, it's in us. And so, Father, I pray that, that we would not just leave this place and think about this text, but we would go home and do the homework that's really required every time we gather for worship. That we come to hear, we come to learn, we come to be uh, challenged. But Father, then we go home and we, we do the homework of applying. We do the homework of considering, talking to other people, thinking about how this plays out in our life. Keeps us from better understanding your grace and living in it keeps us from running with the energy that you provide versus the energy that we muster of ourselves. And so, Father, I pray that we would do that, that we would consider you would convict, your word would be faithful to do what it promises to do for us, but then even as we leave this place, it would continue to work in us. We continue, continue to consider these passages um, as you lead us Onward, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.